standing and we're going to sing another hymn of the church that simply says, I'll live in glory by and by. I'll tell the story there on high with my dear Redeemer no more to die. Yes, I'll live in glory by and by. So let's worship the Lord. Father, we thank you for your spirit that we felt in this place this morning. Father, we thank you for the men and women who made their election call sure and they committed their lives for certain to Jesus Christ today. Father, for the five men and women that stood before me this morning, God, I thank you that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if the trump of God shall sound tonight, they're going home to be with Jesus. So, Father, Lord, we ask that you would join us in this service tonight. Lord, we know. God, that it might be Sunday night, we may be tired in body, we may be, Lord, frail in spirit, Lord, we may even, some battling a little bit of sinuses or drainage and throats, and uh, Lord, may not feel our best, but God, we have come in this house and gathered in this name to worship you tonight. So God, that I pray that you would bless and inhabit the praises of your people, and everything from every note that is sung to every song that has been played, God, and every word that may be spoken today, God, that would bring glory and honor to you. 
and you would and had you would be in our midst in this moment in the sacredy of this hour. We thank you and praise you in Christ's holy and precious name. We pray, Amen and Amen. Let's keep worshiping the Lord tonight.
about his love. We'll think about his goodness. Think about his grace that's brought us
Father, we thank you for the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Father, we thank you that we can experience your peace like nothing else in this world. Father, as we get ready to break the bread of life today, I pray that your peace, you would be the peace speaker and speak to the hearts of those inside this auditorium tonight. Even those that may be watching online right now, God, I pray that you would speak to them as well. They would hear from you today. Father, we thank you and praise you and give you the glory and honor that is due your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this evening. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to Proverbs chapter number 20, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter number 18 and verse 21. Proverbs 18 and 21. And then I'll have another scripture that will be on the screen here momentarily. If you haven't already done so, please go to your Google Store or your App Store, your Google Play Store, and download an app called Our Church. You download the app called Our Church. It'll ask you to search the church you're looking for. Search Santee Circle COG, and you'll have all the information about our church and what's going on. You can also go to uh, our website for any questions about things going on on our property or our campuses around here. Uh, you can always go to uh, www.SanteeCircleCOG.org, and you can find out about that. Also, don't forget uh, that we have the ability to take tithes and offerings each and every week in our building. You can also, if you miss a service, not only can you go online and you can follow along and uh, catch those services, but you can also go to Google uh, Cast as well as Apple Podcast. If you're podcasters, you can go there, and you can search on those, Santee Circle COG, and subscribe. It has every service, every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. It's not just the message. We have the music on there. We have everything on there, so you get the full. Uh, I know some people only do uh, the message, but we gave you the whole thing so that if you want to listen to some music, whatever you need, you have the whole opportunity to uh, do so, and so uh, you can subscribe to those as well. All right, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word this evening as we get ready to read these two passages of Scripture, one out of Proverbs and one out of James. I know we have read this Scripture three weeks in a row, but it ties into still the series we are in, and we're going to continue with this thought. The writer of Proverbs says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love of it shall eat the fruit thereof. The Apostle James, follower of Jesus, said this, Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings, but these things ought not be so. Meaning you shouldn't be blessing someone in one breath and cussing them out in the next breath. Hello, preacher. There comes a point in time you got to either be on, not on the fence. You either got to be hot or cold, but not lukewarm, because the Bible says if you're riding the fence, it makes God nauseous. He wants to throw up. You either got to be completely sold out to Him, or so cold you don't want none of Him. But it shouldn't be either or. It should, I mean, either or, not both and. See, a lot of people like to live well. They'll go to church on Sunday and Wednesdays and live for God, but Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, they like to live for themselves. That's not how that works. You're either all for Him. You're all against him. That simple. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursings. 
These things ought not be so. I want to continue a series that we have been on called The Four Horns. How to Stop the Blessings of God. Four Horns, How to Stop the Blessings of God. Father, I pray you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary. and Help me to preach your unadulterated word of God to the people of God today. Speak to their hearts, speak to their lives, anoint these lips of clay, and help me to speak what thus saith the word of the Lord today. I will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due your name. Christ Jesus, our Lord, I pray and ask these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. Three weeks ago, I started this series, well, two weeks ago, tonight making the third week, on this topic of four horns, how to stop the blessings of God. See, oftentimes in life, we don't realize it, but our mouth can get us in more trouble than it's worth. Oftentimes in our lives, we miss the blessings of God because we are speaking things that we should not be speaking and therefore crippling or hindering the move of God. When people go around and they start discrediting the move of God in church and when people go around and start questioning their faith and people go around and start questioning what they believe and and is God real and things like that, what they're really doing is setting themselves up to be hindering God's ability to move in their lives. I picked the picture of of a ram or a goat because a ram is stubborn. Stubborn. That old goat, that ram, they're stubborn. They're stubborn because they keep, they got the title ram for a reason. Because they continue to just ram their head over and over into the wall or into whatever it is they're trying to knock over to bully. They're bullies. They like to knock people over. They like to knock people down. They're just bullies. That's how they are. They just keep hitting themselves over and over and over again. So either one or two things happen. Either they knock whatever they're after down or overcome it or until they knock themselves out. One of two things. And sometimes it's the same way spiritually. We get stubborn. We get stubborn in our faith. We get stubborn in our walk with God. We get stubborn in how we do things. And if we're not careful, we'll become creatures of habit. And we'll keep doing the same thing over and over again and not learn from our mistakes. We won't learn from them. We keep falling becoming victimized and falling back into the same traits and habits that we once were. Tonight we are privileged to have with us some of the CLM girls from uh, the Hannah House. And, and you know, many of you here know that I'm a part of uh, CLM teaching in the men's uh, house very often and, and uh, teaching Bible study over there and, and, and being a part of that. And, and obviously we have, we have shared, Pastor Tommy was with us just uh, last week and he shared the vision and talked a little bit about CLM and, and the whole purpose of what Changed Lives Ministries is all about. But, but see, what happens is there's no point to go to CLM if you're going to keep doing what you've always done. You got to get to a point that you're just done living the same way you always lived and you hit rock bottom and say, I'm done with this and you won't help. See, I've learned a long time ago, people can uh, only be helped as far as the ability they let people help them. In terms of, there's a lot of people say they won't help, but they're not willing to let anybody help them. If you don't let, if you don't get to a point where you're willing to let help come help you, you really don't want to change. You don't want to change. You want somebody to get you over for a second or give you over the hump, but you really don't want somebody to change. See, these rams, these goats, they keep, they're stubborn. We get that way spiritually. We keep doing the same things over and over again. It has been often said that the tongue is the most powerful muscle and it's hard to tame it. 
The tongue is so powerful that it can build up relationships, share blessings, show love, lavish praise, give honor, but in the very next breath, destroy families, lie, curse, destroy relationships, cause cataclysmic and catastrophic damage to people's personalities, their self-esteem. For an example, some of you under the sound of my voice tonight are married. You could say all day long you love your spouse. You could tell them for 35, 40, 50, 60 years you love them. But one wrong statement or one wrong way you say something could put that in jeopardy and question everything you've worked so hard for. For an example, let's say you've been married, we'll just go north of 20 years. Life's going great. Spouse walks in when you leave church tonight into the bedroom, starts packing a bag. They get all their belongings out the bathroom. They put all their clothes in a suitcase or a duffel bag. They grab the keys to their car and they turn around and say these words. I don't love you anymore. I want nothing to do with you. I regret the day I married you. I'm gone. It doesn't matter how many 20 years of ministries you've accomplished. It all just got destroyed in one moment. A blink of an eye. Because of the tongue. The problem is, as much as I would like to say that that only happens physically... Unfortunately, that's how we do God sometimes. We come to church and lavish our praises on God. Oh, God, we love you, God. Your grace is enough. God, you're faithful. Lord, you're merciful. We just give all the praise and glory to your name. And then as soon as something bad happens, that same breath, we want to blame him. We want to curse at him. We want to shake our proverbial fist at God and say, this is your fault, and get angry and mad at God. Same breath. Same tongue. Same uh, uh, mouth of speech. See, I told you a couple weeks ago that I do believe with all my heart I have found the greatest lie ever penned in human history. Of all the lies that has ever been spoken, I think I found number one on the list. And every one of you know it. You may have even said it. You may have even heard it. You may even have lived it. Here's the lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me or never hurt me. That is the biggest lie you'll ever tell somebody. I'm telling you right now, bones heal. Bruises go away. You can get a broken arm, a broken leg. You can mend it back together. But a broken heart is often so hard to put back together. But I am thankful that I serve a God, that a God that says this, but a broken and a contrite spirit, a broken heart, I can't fix it. But a broken heart, God will not let go of. God will never turn his back on it. God will never say, oh, that's too hard for me to fix. There's nothing. In fact, the Bible said what seems impossible with man becomes possible with God. I told you a few weeks ago, uh, I think it was on a Wednesday night. It might have been on Sunday night. I told you uh, my favorite prayer of all time. It's, it's found in Philippians. It's ten, ten, ten words. You can do it every morning. When you wake up, you can do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives strength. Right here, ten words. Uh, that's it. All, every morning when I grab my toothbrush, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I brush my hair, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When both of my hands grab a steering wheel to drive a car, the only reason I can do it is because I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. When I walk into the job, the only way I can grab my punching card, time card to get it punched, 
punched is because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When I'm cooking a meal and I've got a pot in one hand and a spoon and a spatula in the other one, it's because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I may not can fix it. I may not can make it better. I may not be the one to mend it back, but I'm telling you there is a God that can take in a broken and contrite spirit and he won't despise it because there is a God that works in impossible situations. Sticks and stones may break my bones. The tongue is a deadly weapon. It destroys things. It can serve as the enemy's greatest tool, but it can also be the thing that will destroy the work of the enemy too. That's how powerful your tongue is. You can either aid and abet and advance the kingdom of darkness with your mouth and your tongue, or you can destroy the kingdom of darkness and advance the kingdom of God with that same tongue. It's all a matter of choice. It's all a matter of choice. There comes a point in everyone's life they're going to face a bad day. They're going to face a bad situation. They're going to walk a dark road. They're going to have days where they felt like they've hit rock bottom. Their kids are one way. Their spouse is one way. Their family's one way. Maybe even they are one way. They're going to hit the brick road or the proverbial rock bottom. But they have a choice to make. They can choose to go to places like CLM if that ministry would help them. They can choose to continue to live the life they always lived. They can choose to make a better way. They can choose to serve God or they can choose to turn their back on God and live a vile and a wicked and a sinful life. The Bible does tell us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Sin will be fun for a while. If you don't believe it, go ask the prodigal son. Sin is fun for a while. But when all the money ran out with the prodigal son, the prodigal son came to his, he was sitting. Now, you've got to understand something about this prodigal son. He was Jewish. Jewish people didn't believe in pigs. They didn't do that. They didn't eat pork and things like that. That was not germane to their kosher diet. They, they wouldn't eat that. That was almost the epitome of, 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 of the most unclean thing you could do in their diet. The Bible said when he got to a point after his sinful desires and his lust of the flesh ran out, he hit rock bottom. The man who was the heir to a Fortune 500 company, a, a man whose daddy owned a lot of servants, a lot of cattle, he was the CEO of daddy's company, he was the next in line, he was going to inherit it all. But he got greedy. He went on a journey. When he hit rock bottom, he found himself at the most dirty, vilest place that any Jewish person would have found themselves in. They would have been so embarrassed and so despised and feel like there was such a despicable uh, aura on top of them. He found himself in a pen full of pigs. It's bad enough to be sitting in a pig pen. It's worse when all you got to eat is the same things the pigs are eating. No, he didn't have bread. He didn't have Zaxby's. He, he didn't have DoorDash to bring him Arby's. He's eaten the leftover scraps that have been put in a slot bucket, all put together, stirred up, and put in a feeding trough. He's eaten everything purated together in a, in a feeding trough. That's how he's living. A man that used to be heir to a Fortune 500 company is now sitting down here eating out of a trash can. The Bible said he comes to his senses. See, there is pleasure in sin for a season, but he came to his senses. Bible said he said even the servants the people that don't even have the opportunity to inherit the company just the hired hands the people that just work the line in the company the people that are just the blue collar workers they got it better than I got it right now 
I'll go back to my father's house. I'll beg for forgiveness and say, if nothing else, will you let me just be the janitor in the company? Just let me be a worker. Just, just let me find a job. I don't care what the job is. I don't care if it's the janitor. I don't care if I got to go and fumigate the, the, the plant when it's over. I don't care what it is, but just give me a job. That's got to be better than what I'm doing right now. He picks himself up. Muddy, dirty, vile, filthy. Leaves that pig pen behind. He slams that gate. He walks out of that pig pen. But it all is because he made a choice. He could have stayed in the pig pen. He made a choice. He had no guarantee that daddy was going to give him a job. He had no guarantee daddy would do anything. There was no guarantee. you got to remember, there wasn't no cell phone he could call and say, Daddy, is this going to be all right? No, he had to physically walk himself back home. With all this shame, you know that the father, you know people in town knew that this was the father's son. You know people in town thought, wow, I can't believe his son was like that. I'm sure the father had been talked about all over town. His son makes his way back. The Bible says that while the son was yet afar off, the father saw him. The Bible doesn't say the father sat there on his front porch, folded his arms, and waited to just give him a good tongue lashing when he got there. It's not what your Bible says. He doesn't say that daddy was sitting there saying, boy, I've been waiting for this day to tell him how I feel. I can't wait. He walks on his property. Nope. The Bible says the father takes off running. And a senior citizen man, an older man, season, takes off running. Doesn't matter if his joints hurt. Doesn't matter if his bones are frail. Doesn't matter if he may tear an MCL or an ACL. Even doesn't matter what happens. He took off running. He didn't have time to stretch. He wasn't loosening up the limbs. He wasn't doing his Pilates. No, he took off running immediately. He met his son halfway down the road. The Bible said he embraced him. He started crying. Son started crying. Before the son could even finish asking to be a servant, the father is calling for his son for his other servants and said, "You bring him a robe that came out of my closet. Don't you go get him one of them cheap robes from Dollar General. No, you go get him one I got. You go get him my Joseph A. Banks suit out of my closet. You go get him the best suit I've ever owned. You go grab that suit and bring it here." And when, you, when you're up there, go ahead and tell one of the servants that you go on out to the field. Don't you find the calf that looks like it's about to die, can't produce milk. And it's, a, it's one of them little scraggling uh, calves that looks like it ain't even fitting to eat. No, no. You go find the fattest, the healthiest, the baddest of the bad. You go get me the best sirloin steak, the ribeye steak. You go butcher the best cow I've got. You cook him a meal. He's not eating slop anymore at this house. You bring shoes. And the Bible said, the master, the father said, now you go get my ring, the signet ring. Because every leader, every head of household, every people, that, any of the, anybody that had a business, they would have signet rings with an insignia, almost like a family insignia inside of it. So what they would do is they would melt wax. And when the fathers or whoever was the business owner would have to send, if you will, like certified mail or you would have to send important documents, they would melt the wax and put the family insignia on it and they would seal it with the wax off of the family ring to let you know it came from this person. That's why so often times in the Bible when pharaohs and kings would seal it, if they got to the next dignitary and it was broken, the seal was broken, whoever was the deliverer would be killed because they broke the seal. Revelation tells us there's coming a day where God's going to break some seals. I'm not going to have time to preach on all that tonight, but there's going to be some seals that only the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to be able to unseal. There's going to be some bowls of judgment that are going to be poured out that nobody else can pour out but Him. There's going to be some trumpets 
that's going to be sounded that nobody else can blow but heaven's armies. We can't do it. That father went and got his ring and he put it on his son. What he's really saying is you're back into the family business. You're now back to the CEO. Well, brother got mad. He caught an attitude. He got mad saying my daddy's never done this for me and my friends. I've been the one working this job the whole time. But the point of the story is not about that. The point of the story was that that prodigal son had to get to a point when he hit rock bottom. He had to make a choice. Keep living like I'm living or go back to my father's house and say I'm sorry. There comes a point in every man, woman, boy, and girl's lives that we are the called, we are the children of God. Now, whether we ever give our heart and life to Jesus Christ or not is a matter of choice, but that does not mean God did not create us in His image. In fact, the Bible tells us that everyone was fearfully and wonderfully made, not just Christians. David said everyone was fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows the hairs on my head. He knows everything about me. God knows everything. We all have God's DNA inside of us. But we still have to make a choice or we're going to go back to the Father's house and say we're sorry. Not everybody will come home and come to the altar of repentance and say, God, I screwed it up. I screwed up my life. I've hit rock bottom. Not everybody will do it. But those that will, God's not going to make you be a servant. He's going to give you the Bible said that in the last days when we go home, therefore there is laid up for me crown of righteousness not some beggar's garment no no therefore there is now laid up for me a crown dignitaries royalty wears crown therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give unto me but not only unto me but all those who love his appearing meaning if I make it to heaven I'm not getting some raggedy and just barely hanging on my head shaggy looking uh, uh, construction paper crown no I'm getting one that kings wear now, I have to present it at the feet of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but I'm going to get a crown when I get there. The Bible also says that I'm going to get a robe. I'm going to get new garments, a robe. The Bible tells us we will be there. We will become princes and princesses of the throne of heaven, of, heavens, of, the, of the heavenlies. And that means that even when I say I'm sorry, I'm not going in some straggling beggar. I'm going in a part of the family of God. But see, some people don't realize that because they operate out of a couple horns. The first horn they operate out of is they have a spirit of lack. They don't believe God's able. They question everything. I preached on it a couple weeks ago. I told you that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. But a lot of people are living their life as if God has no ability to get them out of their mess. Let me just go ahead and just do a quick PR public service announcement for God. God does not need our help. He just is allowing us to be a part of the story. God doesn't need us to fix it. God doesn't need us to do it. God doesn't always need us to share our opinions with him. He just needs us to be willing to do whatever he says to go do. He doesn't need me to explain to him how it works. He doesn't need for me to say, well, God, now you know if we do this, this is going to happen. He's God. He already knew that. He don't need me to do that. He just needs willing vessels to just do whatever thus saith the word of the Lord. So what happens is there's a lot of people walking around with one horn that stops God blessing, walking around like they're already defeated. They don't have no hope. They've got nothing to look forward to. I read to you last week or two weeks ago the story of Moses. Moses operated out the spirit of lack. Moses was Pharaoh's daughter 
stepson. She drew out the Nile River. He ends up being raised by his own mama anyway. Kills an Egyptian, takes off running, becomes a shepherd. Moses has got a messed up life. This joker is, he's just messed up. He gets to a bush. It's burning but won't burn. Kind of an oxymoron there. It burning, it's burning, but it's not burning. He goes over there and hears a voice come out of it. He says, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. But here's how I know Moses operates out of a spirit of lack. Because when God tells him the plan, Moses says, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't talk right, Lord. I stutter when I get nervous. God said, that's all right. Aaron's coming this way. He's an eloquent speaker, very gifted. He's a statesman. He can, he's, a very, he's like a politician. He can talk. But don't think you're getting out of this, Moses. What I'll do is I'll talk to you. You can stutter it to Aaron, and Aaron can tell everybody else, but you're still going to do the job, Moses. Stuttering or not, you're still going to do the job. Well, that didn't work. So Moses says, well, God, I need a sign to know this is really you. I, I just don't really know. I mean, there's a bush not burning, but burning. But I'm not sure this is real, so I need a sign. So God, gets, put your hand in your cloak, comes out leprous, put your hand back in, comes out clean, throw your staff down, turns into a snake, turn, pick the staff up, comes back, or snake by the tail, comes back to a staff. You'd think that'd be enough. Not for Moses. Moses trying every excuse he can find. He says, well, God, suppose I do all this. And they still don't believe me. And what if they ask me, well, who is it that sent you here? Who, what authority do you have to come walking up into Pharaoh's palace? What authority do you have to come walking up to all these Israelites and telling these slaves they're going to be taken out of here? What authority do you have? What am I supposed to say, God? God said, okay, Moses, it's the last time we're having this conversation. You just need to go ahead and tell them that I am Yahweh. Yahweh translated simply this, I am that I am. Well, you say, well, that's kind of leaves it open-ended. That's right. Because whatever you need, that's what he is. That's what he was telling Moses. Well, God, I can't speak. I am. I can be the one that makes that. I am the one who can make you speak. Moses, but God, you don't understand. I'm a miracle worker. I'm a promise keeper. I am light in the darkness. I'm a way maker. I am king of kings. I am Lord of lords. I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and end. I am hope. I am peace. I am joy. I am rest. I am relief from your shirt. I am. I am. I am. Whatever you need God to be, that's what he is. He is whatever we need him to be. But some people still don't get it. They don't understand. So some people like to operate on the spirit of limitation. Well, it's not that I'm lacking anything. I just don't have all the resources I need to do the job. <laughs> the devil would love to play that game. He loves telling people, you're not good enough. You're not qualified. You're not talented enough. You can't play the drums like Brother Larry. You can't sing like Brother Randy. You can't play like Sister Kim. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're not good enough. You're not this. You're not that. The devil loves that speech. You're not. He loves that. He loves to make you think that you're not worth anything. He loves to make your small victories seem like they were just coincidences. He loves to tell you that God can't do it. But the Bible said... Tarry until you be endued from on high in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, after I have been tried through the fire of adversity, I can come out on the other side pure, blameless, and without the sin of smoke. 
The Bible says, I have a hope that is steadfast and sure. The Bible said, I am no longer bound by the chains of my past because the precious blood of Jesus washes every sin away. Every time the devil says, well, you know this, and you know that, and you sure God can do this, and you sure God can do that. You remind him that, yes, you may have a past, but God's already got your future lined up, for I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. No matter how bad the past used to be, once you give it over to God, all that is wiped away, and God said, you on a trajectory for a future that you cannot explain that's what God does God's not restricted he's not limited he's not bound I love how God can stop a funeral possession and turn it into a resurrection celebration I love how God can see people hurting and sick and struggling and he can heal them instantaneously. I love how the God of the cosmos, the creator of the cosmos, the man that's probably busier than anybody else in human history, while people are thronging him, wanting to be healed, some that were just fans, not followers, they just were there for the free stuff and the iPad giveaways God was giving from time to time. They just wanted the free stuff. But I love how the most busiest and the the greatest of all humankind to ever walk this earth and put on human flesh, that man could take time to sit on sides of hillsides. There are still sick people. There are still people dying. There are still people hurting. There are still people struggling. And he could sit there and he'd say things like this. Suffer the little children. Let them come unto me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. That same man could sit there and bring throngs of kids and sit, him, sit them on his knee all around him and look at them and say, for the kingdom of heaven is as one of these. If you had the faith like one of these, you could see the things of God. If you had the faith like that of a child, the grain of a mustard seed, you could speak to the mountain, be here, moved here, and be here no longer. He could sit there and hold these precious babies in his arms. And he could say things like, any one of you that should make one of these stumble, it would be greater for you to have a millstone, a giant stone tied around your neck and thrown into the middle of the ocean and watch you drown and suffer for every breath that you have left in your body. That's pretty graphic. Because if you, you're alive and I throw you in the water and I put a chain around you, you're going to be gasping for breath, so you're going to literally die underwater. He said it would be better for that to happen for you to make a child stumble on their way. That's how graphic it was. He took time out of his schedule to stop what he was doing. To say that if you want to know about the kingdom of heaven, you better know how to have the faith like a child. He could be on a journey walking on the Judean seaside. Or he could be walking on the dusty roads of the desert. And be a good southern hospitality, a good southern host, and stand on the side of the road and watch a mama walk behind a coffin of a son. She's laying to rest. Because in that culture, if your son died, it was, if your husband had passed away, it was the son, the firstborn son's responsibility to take care of mama and daddy. She's walking behind the casket, the coffin of her own son. 
tears streaming down her face somehow touches the heart of God. And then right before they get out of earshot and they pass him, he stops the pallbearers in their tracks. And he says, hold up a minute. He looks at a mother with tears streaming down her face. The stains of dried tears already asphyxiated to her cheekbone. And his heart is moved. He puts his hand on top of a little boy in a casket. And he says, son... Sit up. And immediately, not five minutes later, not ten minutes later, they didn't have to go to Roper downtown and have him put on, uh, a, put on a, a, a fibrillator and have him shock him back. Nothing else had to happen. Immediately, heart started beating again. Eyes started fluttering. Mouth started moving. Limbs started moving. And he sat up. He, and he for, for the very first time, made eye contact with Jesus, gets out of a casket, a coffin, and embraces his mother to go home. A day that started out as a funeral now is ending with the family reunion at home. See, the Bible tells us that that's the God that we serve. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which I can think or comprehend. So every time we think God can't do it, history tells us God can God can. But I want to talk for a minute on one of the horns that I think cripples the church and cripples most humanity. While some are confused by the spirit of lack, most people get over that one. While some are stuck with the spirit of limitation, that horn that tells them they're not good enough, they'll never amount to anything. Well, while that is a difficult one in self-esteem and self-worth and, and our self-ideology of, of who we think about or what we think about ourselves, while that sometimes is hard with the right love and affection and coaching and counseling, some people can get through that one. But here's one people struggle with. The spirit of hindrance. Because if there's one thing we don't like, we don't like difficult things. We don't like difficult days. Oftentimes in the society that we live in, the harder it gets, the quicker we quit. It's that simple. When it gets a little uncomfortable, when it gets a little bit, the rubber meets the road, when I, when I begin to feel a little uneasy, that's when I'm ready to throw in the towel and quit. But you don't understand, it's too hard. Preacher, you don't understand. It's too difficult. Preacher, you don't understand. I've tried. I've prayed. I've done, oh, Pastor, I've prayed for five years. Pastor, I've prayed for ten years. Pastor, I've prayed for twenty years. That's all well and good, but what if you were only one prayer away and you quit? One prayer too short. What if the very next prayer you prayed, God had your answer, but you quit? One, too, one time too, too uh, short. You were short one time too many. What if you came to church and devoted your time to God and you did all that, but you just said, you know what, I'm done with God, I'm done with church. And the ones, the first Sunday you were out was the Sunday that your wayward son or daughter, or your unbelieving spouse or whoever it is you'd been praying for and asking God to, they showed up that Sunday to church and your seat was empty. See, when it gets hard, we quit. We don't like hard things. Our world right now te teaches us we don't like hard things. <laughs> 
Then it gets rough on the job and it gets tight on the job. We're ready to quit. When the coach doesn't let us play the entire game, only part of the game, we want to quit the team. When the person at school doesn't let me do what I want to do in class, we're ready to transfer out of that class and go take the other person's class. We don't like our teacher, so we want some other teacher. Because they're too hard. We get into college and we get to choose our classes. We go take the very first day and when we read the syllabus and see that the teacher is going to be a stickler for things and help us to really learn, we're like, oh, this ain't a cupcake class. We're ready to just jump ship and go to another class. It's going to be easier. We don't like difficult things. We like it to be easy, smooth. I would love to stand here and tell you that that's what being a Christian is all about. But I'd be lying to you. I'd be lying to you. Because it's not always going to be a bed of roses to serve Jesus. It won't be. It's not always going to be a smooth ride to be a Christian. It's not always going to be an easy road to stand for God. I often say around here, if we've ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need it now. I mean, we should right now be able to see that being a Christian is not always good in the, in the eyes of society. They'll crucify you. They'll make you a martyr quicker than they can on social media, on the news outlets. They'll do whatever they can to defame and disgrace and to denounce the name of God and let you die with it if they can. They don't care. It's hard. But I believe this horn hurts a lot of people from getting the blessings of God because if they're not careful, they'll hinder the move of God in their lives. They'll come to church. The Spirit of God will move. I'm not talking about just the Holy Spirit, you know, having one of those Pentecostal services where everybody's running around. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it. You can be in the still, small, quietness of the type service. I'm just saying people come to church. You hear stuff like this. Well, do you really think that was God there tonight or was that just emotionalism? Do you really think that was the message of the hour? Do you really think Pastor really had the right word for the hour? Didn't you, don't you think the music was horrible? Who could worship to that? They were off pitch. They were off key. They were this. They were that. See, what we're doing is we're creating the spirit of hindrance. How's God going to move when we're finding fault with everything that he was trying to do? How we expect God to bless it when we're cursing it? We're not, no, we're not saying curse words, but we're speaking curses over it. The music was horrible. The pastor can't hear from God. We don't even know if the Holy Spirit moves in church. How's God supposed to bless it when we're condemning it? People say, well, I didn't get nothing out of church. My question is, did you put anything in it to get anything out of it? I shared with you a couple weeks ago. Some of you weren't here, but some of you were. I find it funny how many people want to go to the Royal Bank of Heaven and ask for a withdrawal into an account they've never put a deposit in. You can't walk to First Citizens or Heritage Trust or Navy Federal or BB&T, whatever you bank with. I don't care if you bank out of a shoebox for all I care. You don't have nothing in the shoebox. You can't go draw nothing out the shoebox. You can't walk up to First Citizens and be like, you know what, I don't have an account with you, but can I get $20 out of somebody else's account? They will arrest your behind for fraud. You go to jail. Call me. I've been wanting to start a prison ministry. I'll add you to our outreach ministry. You can't do that. We think that's funny. We laugh about that, Pastor. How, nobody's that stupid. No, but we are spiritually that stupid. 
Because we're always asking God to do this, do that, bless this, bless that. God, give me a miracle. But we certainly ain't deposited nothing in the treasury for God to disperse anything into our account. We want God to disperse blessings. We want God to disperse his outpouring and manifestation of his power. But we don't pray. We don't read our Bible. We won't sing if it ain't our favorite song. Hello, preacher. We won't worship if it's not my favorite song. We don't want to amen. We don't want to uh, say anything while the pastor's preaching because, you know, we're not really sure that if we, you know, uh, are, are on board 100% with the message of the hour. We're finding fault with every little thing going on in church, but we want God to bless that. You can't receive something you've not put anything in. I didn't get nothing out of that service. Okay. Did you try? Did you try to put something in it? Did you try to close your eyes? Pastor, I, I couldn't I couldn't stay focused because uh, you know, the pew beside me, I had three little girls that were coloring their coloring books. And the pew behind me, I had two little boys that were, were three and five years old. And they were just struggling, staying awake at church. So they were talking. And in front of me, I had sister so-and-so who was trying to open up her candy wrapper. And to the to the right side of me, I had somebody over there trying to, flaw, uh, trying to polish their shoes with their handkerchief. I, I just couldn't focus, preacher. You know how you fix that? Close your eyes. You know what happens when you close your eyes? You can't see nothing. So you know what? It don't matter if Johnny is playing with this Tonka truck. Susie's over there playing with her Barbie doll. And Sister Sally's over there trying to eat a whole bag of York peppermint, pat- York peppermint patties on the front row. It won't matter because you're not seeing it. But sometimes we don't want to close our eyes because we don't want that moment with God. We'd rather find fault with everything around us. Sometimes it just would be better to just close our eyes and say, Okay, God, I can't help what anybody else is doing, but this is my moment. It's me and you. It's just me and you. We create the spirit of hindrance. This horn will try to trip you, delay you, punch you, kick you, knock you down. The devil will tell you you're not important to God. God's not going to answer your prayers. You will have midnight tears that you will shed. And the devil will tell you God doesn't care. He's got more important things to do. God's forgotten you. But can I tell you that just because it seems like God's delaying his appearance doesn't mean he's denying your request. Just because God delayed His appearance in your situation does not mean God denied the request. Sometimes God just waits a little while. That doesn't mean he rescinded the transaction and said invalid. Sometimes he's just waiting to come onto the scene. He needs you to get out of the way and I to get out of the way so nobody else can get credit when he does it. He wants to make sure it's for his glory. I'm often reminded of the story of Lazarus. They go and tell Jesus, Lazarus is sick unto death. The Bible says Jesus packed up his bags. He threw a bunch of clothes in his suitcase. He told the disciples, scarf down your food. Pack. I don't even care. Leave a $20 bill on the table. Covered. We got to go. We better hurry up. We got to get to the hospital. Lazarus is about to check out. They said he's going to die tonight. We got to get in the car right now. We got to get there. We got to hurry up. I got to get there. That's what he did, didn't he? Nope. Not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus sat down and kept eating. He just stayed a couple more days. He stayed on vacation a few more days. He, the Bible said he tarried an additional two days. He wasn't leaving the Cayman Islands yet. He was still having his retreat. That's some sorry excuse of of a God that won't come to me in my time of need. No, God already knew what he was going to do. He didn't have to be in a hurry. 
We get in a hurry because Gilligan's is going to close before we get out of church. God's not in a hurry. He doesn't need Gilligan's. In fact, God can take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people. He doesn't need Gilligan's catfish to make sure you eat. He doesn't need to make sure Gilligan's has enough, enough, enough hushed puppies for you to get there by 12, 15 after church because you're trying to beat the Baptist folks but or trying to be there right after the Baptist folks but get there before the AME folks and you're trying to get there before somebody runs out of food. God's not worried about that. God can take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands. You don't think he's you think he's worried because Gilligan's might run out of food? No. Not at all. He stayed two more days. God knew they were in need. Why didn't he come? Because God already knew what he was going to do. He didn't have to worry about it. See, God doesn't get caught off guard like we do. God doesn't get shocked like we do. God doesn't go, oh, I didn't see that coming. God never has that happen. We have those. I didn't see it coming. But that's why we can just lay back and rest in his bosom and say, I didn't see it coming, but God knew this was coming before I did, so I'll just trust him to get me out of it. He already knew it was coming, so I'll just go ahead and trust him through it. God knew that Liz Duncan was going to battle COVID before she even got COVID. I talked to Veronica and them this week. God knew that she was going to go in the hospital before she even went to the hospital. God knew he was going to call her home so she no longer would have to be in suffering and in pain and have to deal with the inability because she had had health issues in the past that had, had really destroyed her lungs. And God knew he was going to take her out of her misery here on earth and take her home before she even knew she was leaving. God finished her mansion before she even knew it was being built. That didn't catch God off guard. In fact, I just want to, I don't know if Veronica and them watch tonight or not, but I'm just going to tell you all, I'm kind of jealous she's gone. I'm be honest with you, I'm kind of jealous of her. She ain't suffering in this world. She ain't dealing with political craziness. She's not dealing with COVID anymore. She's not dealing with this party versus that party versus this color versus that color. She ain't dealing with that foolishness anymore. She's not struggling for anything. She's sitting there with Jesus probably right now, carrying on a conversation somewhere with the Lord. I'm kind of jealous, to be honest with you. I'd rather be there than here because this world ain't certainly making it real pleasant to stay in. Two days later, Jesus shows up. Four days. Martha comes out to him just like a good church person. Jesus, if you'd have been here, we wouldn't be in this mess. If you'd have been the pastor that we hired you to be, you'd have been here as soon as mama went in the hospital, as soon as daddy went into hospice care. Jesus, you'd have been here. This wouldn't be, we wouldn't be finding ourselves there. And even if he would have died, if you'd have been here, Lord, at least you'd have been here. My brother wouldn't be in that situation if you'd have showed up. Jesus said, Martha, do you believe in God? Well, yes, I believe in God. You believe in the resurrection? Yes, I believe everybody will resurrect one day. No, no, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Well, yes. Martha, just be quiet and watch and see what God will do. Notice Mary's posture, though. Mary comes by and she just starts crying at the feet of Jesus. When Mary heard Jesus was there, she didn't come telling Jesus what he should have done. She came and said, Jesus, what can you do? I'm hurting. I need you. The problem with the church world today is we're trying to tell God what he needs to do rather than just saying, Jesus, you do what you need to do. We're just here waiting on you. We're trying to tell God as if we need to be God rather than just sitting in his presence saying, waiting on you. There's an old song. Most of you probably even know the song. It's by an artist called Clint Brown. Clint Brown was one of the early 90s. He was a uh, praise and worship leader in the early, now, uh, early 90s. He wrote a bunch of different songs and famous songs that people have sang, but he wrote one that hardly nobody even heard anymore, but it was one, I loved it, but he very, it did not become very popular. It came, it was birthed out of his prayer closet one day, and he all, all he did was sing, it was, a few, it was only a few words. It was this word, so I said, 
waiting on you, waiting on you, desperately waiting for you. I'm not worried about the time, because Lord, in your strength I will find everything I need while waiting on you. That was the whole song. Played the whole song. That's all he said. He sang at a concert one time or uh, at an interview and sang all these songs he had wrote. Man, people were like, whoo, good job, Clint. And he just sat down at the piano, didn't even say a word. Didn't even tell him he wrote the song and just started playing and started singing at the end of his concert. Waiting on you, waiting on you. Lord, I'm desperately waiting for you. I'm not worried about the time. Lord, in your strength I will find everything I need while waiting for you. And he just kept playing it. He played about six or seven times. People started just closing their eyes and listening to the words. And people started letting tears stream down their face. Now, they had heard thousands of, uh, an hour and a half worth of his greatest hits. They just clapped. Woo, he's so good. He's so good. He wrote a song nobody knew. Tears started streaming down people's face. You know why? Because even though everybody was in a hustle and a bustle, he figured it out. He wasn't telling God anything. He just said, waiting on you, waiting on you. Lord, I'm patiently waiting for you. I tell you what, if we just got that motto in our head, that would be fantastic for the church world. Instead of coming to Jesus like Martha, Jesus, you should have done this. We should just go like Mary. Lord, we've been waiting Really, Mary should have wrote the song. She said, "Lord, Lord, uh, he's, 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 show me where the tomb is at. Lord, you, you, you just, we're hurting." Mary had it right. Lord, we've been waiting on you, waiting on you. Lord, we've been desperately waiting for you. Look, I can't help what's going to happen as we get ready to close here in just a second. As Carol makes her way, I'll pick up the last horn next week for those that are here. It'll be the spirit of devour that we'll talk about next week, the spirit of devouring, the devouring spirit. That's where the devil just comes, and he'll take every blessing God's ever get you, and he'll try to steal it from you which you outlook from under you, the devouring spirit. But I, I want to finish with the, with the hindering spirit here for a minute. <laughs> I love how that was Mary's song, but if you wanted to trek back all the way back to one of the first earliest people in the Bible, chronologically speaking not in your Bible but chronologically speaking there'd be a guy that would be one of the first people in the Bible chronologically speaking that was into existence by the name of Job Job was the richest man in the world at the time of the east had it all lost it all cattle, wealth, family everything, lost it all had nothing to look forward to In fact, it got so bad that Job's friends felt sorry for him. They came for a visit. Now, if I ever get to the point that they tell you I got stage four cancer and I'm going to die, and you come and you want to be like Job's friends, just stay home. Don't come see me. I'd prefer not to see you. Just let me die alone. At least I'd rather die knowing that I think you're my friend rather than figuring out you're not my friend. Job's friends come at him. You're dying, Job. It's your own fault. Well, that's really encouraging on my deathbed. I'm dying, and it's my fault that I'm dying. 
God, what did you do? To, I mean, Job, what did you do to take God off? What? Dying. What do you mean, what did I do to take God off? Instead of praying for me, you're trying to tell me it's my fault. Job, you better repent and ask God to forgive you so that he has mercy on you. What did you do? Wow, some friends you are. Got so bad, Sister Job walks into the room and says, I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've said. I don't know what you've, what's happened. I'm tired of watching you suffer. It would be better for you to curse God and die. That's pretty rough when your wife tells you you're better off dead than alive. That's really encouraging, don't you think? I'm sure all of us wanted to hear our spouse tell us, I'd rather you be dead than be with me. Got a good insurance policy for her. You know, everybody wants to crucify Sister Job. They all want to talk bad about her. You know, I, I don't know if I can be that way on Sister Job because I can't tell you what it would be like to be a mother that buried ten children. Not one. Seven sons and three daughters. Lost them all. Boom, gone. In a blink, all died in the same day. You're having ten children's funerals on the same service you walk in and the funeral possession lines up and Dial Murray starts bringing them in and you got ten coffins laying here and they all are your children laying in front of you that's tough it's hard to bury one child even if you have a couple sitting on the pew with you but to lose all of them in front of you go from having a house and having all your bills paid for to having to live off the welfare system and pray to God you can even make your bills paid you went from being the richest person you don't even know if you're going to have bread on the table today it's kind of hard to envy her when she's lost it all too see Job yeah he's got his health and all this stuff taken from him but it wasn't like sister Job didn't also have some things she lost in the process nobody went to her and knocked on her door and said what did you do to tick God off of course she might have slapped him in the face and told him they could go back where they came from but you know most people ain't smart enough to go tell a woman that's upset. It's your fault if they want to live to tell about it. Amen, amen. Where's all my men? Amen. God bless you. Job sat there and sat cloth and ashes trying to get relief. He said, woman, you speak like a foolish child. God's been too good to me. I ain't cursing God. If God takes me out of here, so be it. But God... I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he is able to keep that which I've entrusted him until that day. If he takes me, so be it. If he leaves me, so be it. But I'll never turn my back on God. There's an old Southern Gospel song that says this. It said, I'll not turn my back on him now. He's given to me everything I have. He gave me my first breath, and I'll make sure to give him my last. I will not turn my back on him now. So Job sitting in his ashes, I believe he said this, waiting on you, desperately waiting on you believe that Job got it restored now I can take the same story Martha and Mary and I can tell you that Lazarus Jesus goes to the tomb rolls stone calls Lazarus out Woo! we have a Pentecostal service dead people getting up it's great still didn't take away that there was a season that Martha and Mary were hurting and crying before that happened sometimes before you get to the shout you got to go to the sorrows sometimes before you get the victory you got to be the victim Sometimes before you get the, 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 you know, the, the great and awesome experience of the miracle happen, sometimes you're going to grieve before you receive the great benefits of God. Sometimes you're going to have to suffer first before you get the blessing. See, we don't like to be hindered, delayed, depressed, downtrodden. 
But then my mind went as, and I say this as we get ready to pray. My mind quickly went, thinking of the story of Job, thinking of the story of Mary and Martha, thinking of the story of all these people. My mind immediately went to another old song. I don't know why all of a sudden when I start preaching messages, songs just come flooding in my head like nothing ever happened. I mean, I don't, I don't like to be a walking songbook, but it just happens. And I began to think, while Job and all of them could have sang, waiting on you, waiting on you, desperately waiting, I'm not worried about the time, Lord, in your strength I'll find all I need while waiting on you, while all that's good. Then my mind was drawn to this. See, we are people of time. Functionality. Uh, punctuality. We, 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 we want people to be on time. If we say we want you at the job at 8 o'clock, we don't mean get there at 8.05. We mean get there at 7.55 so that at 8 o'clock you're on the job. We want you to be punctual. I felt the spirit right there. Somebody right there just hit me right there. Some people are going to be late to their own funeral. I mean that. Something's going to happen. Some people, I think, if God should have... My, my great-great-grandmother actually one time actually be my great-grandmother, I guess, somehow connected anyway to my family somehow. Uh, she always was late, and they always said, joking, she'd be late to her own funeral. Do you know the God's honest truth? She was the hearse, stopped and ate, ate lunch and got delayed, and everybody beat them to the funeral before she did. She was late to her own funeral. That's the truth. That's not a joke. That's the truth. Like my parents here, they can vouch for her. She was late to her own funeral. It happened. My mom's side of the family, but it happened. It's kind of funny because my mom's on time, but it's me and my dad's side of the family that's late. I don't know how that worked, but she was late. And then my mind went to, we always are look about time. We're looking at time. Pastor, it's 12 o'clock. We've got to get out of here. Pastor, it's 7 o'clock. we got to get here. we got to go. got to go. got to go. got to go. We're people of time. Jesus, you're four days late. Jesus, you'd have been here on time. You'd have been here when I said it. That's what happened. But then here's what my mind went to. I don't care what key are you in by chance. G? Okay. C? Oh, oh, Lord have mercy. Well, we can stay there. Just, I don't think I'm going to sing it there, but we'll stay there. Can you give me a full C chord for me? I'll just hold it right there. Then my mind went to this one. Some of y'all going to know this. Well, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Whoa, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Job said he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there. Not your time, but he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Then it said this, you can ask the children of Israel trapped at the Red Sea by that mean old Pharaoh and his army. They had water all around them, hindrance, and Pharaoh on their back. But out of nowhere, God stepped in. He cut a highway just like that. I'm telling you, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Whoa, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Job said he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I tell you, he's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. See, I'm telling you, it don't always work like I want it to work. may not be on my time. God may not show up on Sunday night at 7. He might come at 7.12, but you know what? He's always on time because it's on his time, not my time. 
He may not always show up at the altar call at 12.05. He might come at 12.10. But when he comes, he's right on time. It doesn't matter how long they preach. It doesn't matter how long they sing. It doesn't matter if we're at the back door shaking hands and somebody comes up here to drop tithing, tithes in the envelope. But if God hits them when the tithes drop into the box, I don't care what time it is. It can be 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But whatever time he shows up, it's not he was late. It's not he was early. He showed up right on time every time. Every time the devil tries to put you in a box and tell you, oh, he can't do it. Oh, God can't fix it. It may not be on your time scale, but I just want to remind you. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Because he's always an on-time God. Yes, he is. Will you stand all over the house tonight? Here's what I believe. I don't know what you have need of, but I can tell you one thing. You don't have to worry about it because when God steps onto the scene, ain't nothing no devil in hell is going to do to stop it. So I'm just going to go ahead and let you know whenever God steps in. I love that one verse in that song. It's my, probably my favorite verse. There's multiple verses, but I love the one about the children of Israel because it's perfectly what, what this is all about. The Bible says you can ask the children of Israel trapped in the Red Sea by me and old Pharaoh and his army. They had water all around them. Hindrance. They couldn't go nowhere. You can't go nowhere. You got chariots, horses, kids, family. Ain't nobody swimming across the Red Sea. You can't go nowhere. You're stuck. You're hindered. Pharaoh's on your back. But out of nowhere, nobody saw it coming. Nobody knew it was going to happen except Moses because God said, Moses, go ahead and take your staff and hold it up. Out of nowhere, God stepped in and cut a highway just like that. So I'm telling you, I don't care if it's been five minutes, five days, five years, five months, 50, I don't care how long it's been. Tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or next year, I don't know when he'll do it, but if you trust him out of nowhere, God will step in and he'll cut a highway just like that. And whatever your need is, whatever your situation is, he may not come when you want him, but you don't give up. Don't be like, be like Job. Don't give up on God. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there. Father, I've done the very best of my ability to preach your word today. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. Father, I feel like that I've done my best to share your word to the people of God. They would know what thus saith the word of the Lord. Father, as we disembark from this place, Go to our humbleness, humble places of abode. We travel to jobs, to schools, places of vocation. Run our errands and do what we need to do. God, there are men and women battling COVID. There are men and women in the hospital. There are people dying. There are people struggling with health, finances. Got family members struggling with health issues. God, there's a whole plethora of needs. God, and you already know. We've prayed about them already this week. You already know. We don't have to say them all again. You know. But God, I'm asking for lots of people that you would out of nowhere, you'd step in and cut a highway just like that for their situation. God, because right now it seems like we don't know when you'll come, but Lord, we're just going to trust that we may, you may not come when we want it, but you'll be there right on time. So God, we this week, as we get ready to leave this place, God, let the meditation and the song of our heart resonate. God, no matter what we're doing, we're waiting on you. Waiting on you, desperately waiting for you. Father, we love you. 
before we're dismissed in this place, to everyone that is streamed online, God bless you. We are so glad you have joined us today. All that are in-house today, we are so glad you are a part of our services. We'll be back online and in-house Wednesday at 7 and next Sunday at 11 and 6 p.m. I'm going to kindly ask Brother Randy Ertzberger to politely dismiss us in prayer. As soon as he finishes praying, you can consider yourself dismissed. I love you. God bless you. In Jesus' name. Brother Randy.